electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. It does indeed. John, thank you very much. Right now on Fast, mortgage rates hit their highest level since 2000, and the 10-year keeps climbing. But at the same time, growthy tech names like NVIDIA and Palo Alto keep rocketing higher. So why the mixed messages from this market? Plus, Beijing bummer, China cuts a key interest rate again as their slowdown and troubled real estate sector get worse. And will the pain on the mainland come crashing to our shores somehow? And later, inside Bitcoin's summer slump, a Monday turnaround at Tesla and the not-so-beautiful options action in Coty. Good evening, everyone. I'm Tyler Matheson, in from Melissa Lee. This is Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site. And on the desk tonight, Manuel Eisen, Dan Nathan, Guy Adami, and Julie Bell, Beale. Excuse me. Julie is remote tonight, but she's with us nevertheless. And we start with two market moves you uh, sort of wouldn't think should happen at the same time. Let's start in the bond market. The 10-year Treasury yield rising again today, hitting its highest level in almost 16 years. The 30-year yield touching highs not seen since 2011. And that is sending mortgage rates to their highest level since November of 2000. The average 30-year fixed hitting 7.48%. It was just 3% at the start of last year. Yet tech stocks, which typically struggle when rates are rising, high rate environment, they're jumping. They jumped today. The Nasdaq rising for the first time in five sessions, rallying almost 2%, 1.56. High growth, high multiple names like Palo Alto, NVIDIA, CrowdStrike led the charge today. So how are these two seemingly opposing forces both finding life in this market. Let's talk about it a little bit. And for more on the spike in rates, let's bring in Jim Bianco. He is he is the uh, Bianco Research President. So, all righty, welcome to Jim as well. Let's talk a little bit about these uh, these rising rates and so far a rising market at least today in the Nasdaq. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, what, like I think you spelled it out pretty well there, Tyler. In the I end did? of 2021, I when so. I mean, when the Fed basically said they were going to battle inflation by raising interest rates, what got hit first? And even yeah. in anticipation of their acknowledgement that they kind of, you know, let things run too easy for too long, we saw high valuation tech stocks, we saw SPACs, we saw crypto, we saw a whole host of things start to sell off. And that's the thing that I think we all grew up with in this business with higher rates, and, and, and that should be applied to you know, investment returns going forward and the valuations that are being applied to such. So the reflation that we've seen as rates have gone higher in 2023, at some point, something does have to give here. OK, like so to me, I think that this is really a small shortage of names that are benefiting from an excitement around a new technology. We've talked about that a lot here. And I think that as we get to Wednesday's earnings with NVIDIA, we might start to see it's as good as it gets for the next couple of quarters. And that's when investors might start to readjust. You mentioned Palo Alto screaming today after they reported results. A lot of their peers had difficult or disappointing results, a high valuation name, um, you know, and it rallied a lot, but it's still well off its high. So I guess my point is, is like we got to take some stock where some of these stocks, um, are, you know, have been and where they're trading now. Tesla's another example to make the move like it did today after it sold off from 300 to 215 on Friday's close. It's not that impressive to me. 
Julie, uh, I don't mean to put words in, in Dan's mouth, but uh, what the hell, I do mean to put <laughs> words in Go your mouth. <laughs> so, so he makes the point here that maybe this, uh, when we hear from NVIDIA, that there's a possibility that that may be a kind of high watermark for the AI stocks, I guess you'd call them. I think that makes sense, right? Because NVIDIA is really ground zero for you know, one of the very few companies that's actually able to see and recognize revenue from AI today. Most of the software names that are kind of incorporating AI into their businesses, they don't even really have a very clear business model around it. So, you know, I think that makes sense that it's, you know, as the kind of the Pied Piper that's led this rally, that, that this would be the business that, you know, could be, mark the end of it. It's, it's really hard to say. What I do think is important is kind of keeping in mind the, the, the balance of power between the U.S. and China, because NVIDIA is also at the center of that battle. So, you know, I, I'm really looking forward to see how those results turn out. It's also going to be a great indication of just how high investor expectations are, because a lot is baked into this stock at this valuation. Bonowin, you know, I, I don't mean to suggest a crash is coming, but it was back in 1987 when interest rates were rising and the market was rising. And at some point, something happened and bam, you had, I'm not saying, I'm not, you know, I'm not saying, you know what I'm not saying, but rising rates and a rising market do not usually go together. Yeah, I mean, and this market has kind of defied logic. It, it, I mean, to put it quite simply, the thing is, if you really look at risk, a, risk assets, and I'm not just talking stocks, I'm talking about everything. We're talking about stocks, we're talking about mortgage rates, we're talking about real estate, we're talking about private equity. You go across the board. We have been in such a low rate environment for so, for long, so long that the valuations that you're seeing are fueled by the point that Dan made, valuations being DCF back to 2%, With mortgage rates now at 7%, right? Yeah you can't help but expect to see default rates. But until we see credit really start to turn, until we start to see liquidity really get siphoned out, I will say one thing that I think is significantly different between 87 and now, I've got to go back quite a bit of time. I was, uh, well, I'm not going to eight. I'm not, I'm, I'm not, <laughs> more like five. Yeah. Um, is that the, the liquidity on balance sheet. Companies make so much more cash now. The free cash flow generation, whether it's a company setting itself up to be, taken, to be taken private or vice versa, I think that is a slight difference here. Um, and then you have all the passive investing, all of that liquidity that's in the market now. I think that's a, a, a slightly different dynamic from, from now and then. But I tend to agree, generally speaking, like something has got to give being that being that low rates have fueled asset valuations for the better part of the last. Yeah, before I go to Guy, did I put words in your mouth appropriately there? I mean, like someone like you putting words in my mouth, it only makes me smarter. <laughs> so thank you, sir. So what do you think, uh, uh, Guy? You mentioned 87. I mentioned. By the way, hi, low, Tyler. Hi. How are you? I'll give you an 07, because in 07, this was the last time 10-year yields got to the levels that we saw today, 435. So it's yep. a 16-year high now. And this re-steepening... 16 years ago. Think, think about that. Yeah. November of 07. This re-steepening of the yield curve, and I don't want to be too wonky here and make people's eyes glaze over. It might be too late for that. But this is a bear re-steepening. In other words, it's re-steepening because the 10-year yields are going higher. That's not particularly good. And it's not just the U.S. Global interest rates now have been going higher as well. Just look across a swath of countries, and you'll see China yuan weakening right before our very eyes. Last time we saw it to this magnitude was August of 2015. 
and don't discount the importance of the weakness in the Japanese yen as they try to sort of continue to keep their bond market in line, which is not happening. All these factors put together, yes, the Nasdaq had a great today. Palo Alto should have been up given their margins and given that quarter on Friday. NVIDIA's up, I think, because people feel we have to be in this name ahead of earnings because God forbid we're not and have another quarter like last quarter. We're going to get fricasseed by our investors or shareholders. That's just people chasing, in my opinion. So let's wait till Wednesday and see how this shakes out. But I think it's setting up for a bit of a fall. Yeah, and the definition of a great quarter and great guidance, I mean, that's, you know, do this here. Put your finger. It's going to be great. I mean, like, you know, there's no doubt about it. So expectations analysts, I think 10 analysts have been, like, raising their price targets over just the last week or so, raising estimates. I think if you think about where investors on the buy side, where the whisper is for this quarter in the balance of the year, and even thinking out to 2024, it's really, really high. So if you think about the reversal that this stock has had over the last few trading days, oh, it's up 8.5% yeah. today alone. This is a trillion-dollar market cap. Think about it. It gained $85 billion in market cap today God. on really nothing, right? And the options market is implying about a 10% move in either direction the day after earnings. I just want to put some context around this. Intel, which used to be the behemoth in this space, oh has $137 billion market capitalization. AMD has $170 billion market capitalization. And NVIDIA. And NVIDIA has a trillion one and is expected to move $100 billion in either direction the day after reports. So I can't put too fine a point on this. When I look at what happened today in the stock market, it literally was dragged up by two companies that are probably two of the most expensive and with the best enthusiasm in and around them. That's obviously NVIDIA and Tesla today. And I didn't see a whole heck of a lot of other things acting particularly well. So when you think of the, we heard all about this broadening out of the rally, okay, into Q2 earnings into July. Well, now I see a re-narrowing of it, and given where rates are doing, just to kind of wrap this whole thing up together, that could make for a very, very nasty September, in my opinion. Yeah, interesting point. Interesting point there. Let, uh, now we're going to bring in Jim <laughs> Bianco. Now we're going to do it. He is the Bianco Research President. Jim, welcome. Good to, good to have you. You've been listening to the conversation. We've been talking a lot about rising uh, and high rates, highest since uh, 2007 on the 10-year, highest since since 2000 for mortgage rates. What's going on here? And, and, and talk to us about the dissonance between what's happening in stocks and has happened this year in stock. There you got NVIDIA tripling so far this year, tripling, and, and what's been going on with rates. Yeah, so to start with rates, I think Guy had it right. This is a bear steepener. It just means that long rates are rising faster than short rates. Typically, when that happens, it's the market thinking the Fed's behind the curve. And maybe this is what's happening this time, that even though they've raised rates 500 basis points, we might not be behind this whole inflation thing. And as I like to say, it's not 8 10% or Zimbabwe inflation. It's more like 3% or 3.5% inflation. And that's wholly unacceptable to the Fed. And if they're not going to fight inflation by raising rates more than one more time, then nobody wants to own their long bonds. And you throw into that that the Japanese yields, Japan, Japan is the largest foreign owner of treasuries. Their yields are starting to rise for the first time in decades. And all of a sudden, Japanese investors are finding more attractive opportunities at home as opposed to holding U.S. treasuries. And you've got this sell-off going on. Interestingly, if that analysis I just laid out is correct, what stops it? An aggressive Fed. If if Jay Powell comes out on Friday and says, we're not done, maybe there's more than one more rate hike, you might then see the bond market start to rally. Now, as far as stocks, they might not like that. They might not like that at all if the Fed says that they're going to be 
uh, more aggressive, but the bond market would. And there's the rub that these two markets are not going to find the same news, kind of either both bullish or both bearish. I want to I bear down on your point about Japan, if I might. J Japanese yields are what right now? They're, they're obviously positive, but they're still very, very low. Do you think they are sufficiently high to cause uh, Japanese investors, who, as you point out rightly, are big holders of U.S. Treasures, treasuries, is it, is it, are they sufficiently high, really, uh, to stint uh, the Japanese from putting money into U.S. bonds? Well, yeah, so the 10-year yield in Japan is around 60, 65 basis points right now, so a little more than half a percent. But you got to keep in mind that Japanese investors also have to take a currency risk. They, if they own U.S. bonds, they ultimately need to convert them back into yen. And if they, don't take, if they take that currency risk, they then risk losing money uh, on a depreciating currency. They're finding that with all of the volatility and the uncertainty in the yen, They'd rather take 60, 65 basis points and not have to worry about the currency moving 3, 4, 5% against them, as opposed to taking 4.3% in the US. Now, this is not happening in big numbers, but it's happening around the edges. And if Japanese interest rates continue higher, you're going to see more and more of it. And markets are anticipatory. And I think that that's one of the things that's concerning them. Let's cut to the chase. What do you think uh, Powell says on Friday? What do you think the Fed does when they meet later this month? I actually think he's going to say nothing on Friday. I actually thought that he would actually skip this meeting, but he's obviously not. I mean, Bernanke skipped meetings. Yellen has skipped meetings. He hasn't yet. And I think because they're still, they're still in flux. They talk about the end of the cycle, but the market's not acting like they should be at the end of the cycle. At least the long bond is not. And so I don't know where, he's, where his head is right now. We'll have to see. But I guess I would rephrase what I just said and say I wouldn't be surprised if he winds up saying a whole lot of nothing on Friday. All right, Jim, thank you very much. Always good to see you, Jim Bianco. Appreciate it. Well, let's trade this guy. What do you think? Bond market is everything. You know, again, it gets inside baseball, but it's important to point out that, again, what's going on in Japan can't be underestimated. Their yields are rising and their currency is weakening at the same time. That is not that's what we call Danny. What? Which is brew. Which is brew, Tyler. We talk about brew. that from time to time. In addition, the yuan, as I mentioned, continues to weaken. The Chinese are telling their banks to try to support the yuan. It's not working. That's unraveling. And so that coupled with this re-steepening of the yield curve here, rates going higher, that is, I get it. Today, the Nasdaq went up. Fantastic. But that is not a bullish recipe for stocks. We're talking about which is brew. I just want to point out, this is cold brew right <laughs> yeah, here. Yeah, sure it is. And you know who brings me this cold brew every time we I do as here? a team? The gentleman I'm talking to, Guy, Guy Adami. I want to make one quick point here. So as long as uh, maybe the last 10, 15 years, I mean, there were two kind of bugaboos for the equity market and valuations as it relates to, like, just my purview here. It's been rising interest rates and it's been China growth. And we have both of them here in spades right now. And it just seems kind of weird that we still have a VIX under 20. We haven't even had a 10% peak to drop decline, you know what I mean, over the last few months or so. So I guess just kind of feel mm -hmm. like at some point, like this is all going to kind of mash up together at some point. We're going to have a little fearful trading period. I don't think that, like, you know, pullback that we had over the last few weeks is that yet. Julie, let me get a quick thought from you. Uh, um, Dan just said, just tied it up very nicely there. Choppy time, maybe a bad September coming, a worrisome, I don't know, what, what was the yeah, word you used? Something like that. Something you like, what do you think, Julie? 
Yeah, no, I agree. I, it's not a great setup if you think about September, right? And I, it does feel like there's so much complacency. And the complacency isn't just in the equity market, it's in the bond market too. If you look at spreads, they're really quite narrow compared to like, let's take 2019 where spreads, you know, on investment grade were 95 basis points, we're in the 60s. Things were looking way worse back then, uh, way worse right now than they were back then, you know? So I just yeah. don't think that, you know, everyone's really prepared for that. Well, September may have been the best earth, wind and fire song ever, but it may not be the best for the market, right? Well, look at you. Look at that. I you think probably saw the musical references that usually go around this table, right? It's, it's usually the who and the lads are different. Zeppelin. Zeppelin. And so no, but we'll take a little Earth, Wind, well, and Fire. Well, you know, I'm going to squat near Oaktown, and we could do a little Green Day, Wake Me Up When September Ends. I don't know. Is yeah. that a cliche? Yeah, that's a good, that's a little a good too one. Cliche? Yeah, that's a, a good bit. one. All right, we've got news, uh, a news alert on a hotly anticipated ARM, ARM IPO. Dieter Bos has been digging into the company's uh, filing. Hi, Dee. Yeah, and I've been following your guys' last conversation. So Massasan and SoftBank, they're going to test the market waters with an IPO, with ARM. It would be the biggest offering of the year, and it could pave the way for other IPOs to follow, like Instacart, which has been watching very closely. The company intends to trade on the NASDAQ under ticker name ARM, ARM, that F1 filed not long ago. As for financials, revenue of $2.7 billion in its last fiscal year, that's actually a decline from the previous year. Lower profitability as well in terms of net income year over year. Among the risk factors that were listed in that prospectus, competition from free open source technologies like Risk Five, its dependence, its huge dependence on revenue from China, of which it doesn't have control over, and its SoftBank ownership, whose interests, Arm says here, may not coincide with their own interests or the interests of shareholders. Now, the prospectus pitches Arm as the, quote, foundation of the semiconductor industry. Demand in its major end markets, however, like smartphones, has been weakening. So a lot of this and a lot of its valuation will depend on SoftBank's and Massasan's ability to make the case that this is an AI company and it plays in this sphere. Now, certainly it needs to make that case to be valued in that reported range of between 60 and $70 billion. Latest transaction valued it at $64 billion. It was a private transaction, but you see others on Wall Street valuing it much lower, like a Bernstein, which says it's worth about $40 billion. So this could really land anywhere, and a lot of it is going to depend on how it factors into that AI hype cycle and how the markets are feeling like valuing tech companies. Dee, did, did I hear you say that ARM is going to trade under the ticker symbol ARM? Yep. When it was who, who a public company up? before, it was ARM. Who thought that <laughs> Hey, up? they dropped the H. Okay, Tyler? So, okay. I All don't right. know, call that creativity. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Deidre. Bonwin, thoughts here? Uh, what, what, where's the valuation? I mean, she said 40 it's, to 60. It's not, I mean, 70, it's, it's not 70. Yeah. It's, it's probably 40 to 50. I mean, you, you look at VC, all that stuff's gotten knocked down, reminiscent of cloud and fintech and all this stuff that was hyped and then came back down to earth. And it's likely that you're going to see the same situation here. Very interesting. Arm will trade under the tickle sim, ticker symbol arm. I think Debo's about to get a lot busier here. Yeah, you know, she, Instacart's, yeah. you know, yeah. you know, people want to yeah. get some stuff out the door a little bit here. I'll just say this, you know, Qualcomm was a mitigated, like, unmitigated disaster when they reported. Yeah. That stock is unchanged in the year versus a, an SMH, the mm. semiconductor ETF that's up 45% of the year. So that's their primary end market. 95% of the, you know, the, the chips are licensed from ARM. I just can't imagine that's going to come into, um, you know, a market that is, this is not an AI story right now. Yeah. Uh, real quick, two yeah. and a half billion dollars in revenues is this company. 
they're talking about anywhere from 60 to 80 billion. You can start to do. Makes no that's sense. Why, Even why, at why, 50 billion uh, market cap, that's it's 40 still times revenue. It's still crazy expensive. So I think one of the reasons Nvidia rallied the way it did today is on top of people front-running earnings because of this, and people want to get involved. That's another way you can get involved. ARM is just taking advantage of what the tailwinds that Nvidia has, in my opinion. Yes, they should. Interesting. All right, we're going to take a quick break. Coming up, Zoom zooming higher. The stock jumping after reporting results in the last hour. The numbers uh, out of that quarter coming up next. Plus, a little bit of a crypto crumble. Bitcoin falling over the past week, hovering near the $26,000 mark. Will the free fall continue? We'll debate that when Fast Money returns. It's time to take your career to the next level. With over 150 graduate degree programs, the Catholic University of America, located in Washington, D.C., provides world-class academics with a student experience that educates the whole person, mind, body, and spirit. Whether your professional calling is in engineering, nursing, social work, or any of our other exceptional degree programs, encounter the best of everything that Catholic University has to offer and discover the best in yourself. Learn more today at catholic.edu forward slash gradadmissions. Now is the time to bring new ideas to your industry. And T-Mobile for Business has the advanced 5G solutions to make that happen. We're helping rethink patient-doctor interactions with real-time data sharing. We're tracking carbon with 5G sensors to help fight climate change. We're partnering with cities to connect roadways, cars, and drivers to minimize injuries. Disruptive thinking deserves a disruptive partner. So let's get started on what's next for your business. Step up your innovation at T-Mobile.com slash now. Welcome back to Fast Money, everybody. We've got an earnings alert on Zoom video. Shares higher after reporting a beat on the top and bottom lines, though off their after-hours highs. Pippa Stevens has the details. Hey, Pippa. Hey, Tyler. Well, the guidance is also fueling optimism in the stock, with Q3 and full-year EPS guide coming in ahead of expectations. The call kicking off just a moment ago, where the AI opportunity was basically the first thing mentioned with the CEO noting a, quote, aggressive roadmap aimed at using AI to help users work smarter with the goal of rolling out roughly 90 new features per quarter, including the just-launched scheduling tools. Elsewhere, the company said that its enterprise revenue during the second quarter rose 10.2% year-over-year, with enterprise customers up 6.9% compared to last year. Operating cash flow increased 30% year-over-year, with Zoom also saying its monthly churn rate decreased to 3.2%, down, Tyler, from 3.6%. Back to you. All right, Pippa, thank you very much. Guy, let's trade this yeah, one. This, what do you think? This is the quarter where they've righted the ship, it appears as though. I mean, enterprise customers up 7% year-over-year. That's a good thing. Double beat, as Pippa just said. So it's fine. I don't think valuation is ridiculous in this name. It's flatlined effectively since August of last year, trading between sort of 65 and 78. But I don't think... Now, given what they just said, given their guidance, being long the stock, I don't think you can get hurt being long the stock. I actually think you can trade it from the long side here. Julie, you have any thoughts on uh, Zoom? Yeah, I think amazing results in terms of the cash flow, the free cash flow is nearly $300 million on $1.1 billion in revenue. And I, I think that is what investors are really looking for right now. They've all been kind of singed by these non-earning businesses. And so demonstrating not that you can do super highly adjusted, non-GAAP, whatever the hell, uh, but real free cash flow I think is meaningful. 
Bonwin, any thoughts? Yeah, here? I, I tend to agree. Follow the cash. Um, also, what is it? Thirty uh, percent operating operating margins, if I remember correctly. I think that's pretty impressive. I mean, the thing is, this thing just got way way away from itself in yeah. the middle of COVID, and yeah. it's just now back to where it probably rightfully belongs. To Guy's point, earning um, Ford uh, price to earnings, I think is around sixteen seventeen. I think you're pretty comfortable owning it there. I, I definitely wouldn't be short this thing. You have a thought on this? Yeah, one? and you know, to, to Bonwin's point, it was investors who got the thing way away from itself. Do you yeah. know what I'm saying? Yeah. It wasn't the company. They, yeah. you know, they had a product. It was deemed to be best in breed. I yeah. think it still it is best it's in a, breed. It's a great so, utility. So I, I, so I think that enterprise number and the churn, I think that's all really important. And I think you have to remember that heading into the pandemic, this company was already profitable. So they remain profitable. Um, to me, I, I think this thing is, is okay here. Yeah. All right. Thanks, guys. There's a lot more fast to come, and here is what's coming up next. Look out below. Tokens are tanking. Crypto bulls feeling the pain as Bitcoin's drop continues. Will this trade find a floor, or is the slide just starting? Plus, a surprise rate cut out of China as the growth in the country struggles to rebound. What the slowdown could mean for your money ahead. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. It's time to take your career to the next level. With over 150 graduate degree programs, the Catholic University of America, located in Washington, D.C., provides world-class academics with a student experience that educates the whole person, mind, body, and spirit. Whether your professional calling is in engineering, nursing, social work, or any of our other exceptional degree programs, encounter the best of everything that Catholic University has to offer and discover the best in yourself. Learn more today at catholic.edu forward slash gradadmissions. All right, welcome back to Fast Money. Uh, down goes Bitcoin. Double-digit losses on the week, putting the uh, crypto, uh, putting the cry, excuse me, in cryptocurrency. Mm. Bitcoin falling below the 26,000 mark at today's lows. So what's next? Let's trade it. Bonowin, what do you think? Well, I don't think it's just about today's move. If you think back to just late July, early August, I feel, feel like this thing was at 29 and a half, 30,000. That move down and below 26,000 to me is pretty meaningful. And I don't know if it's just it's selling off in tandem with NASDAQ or just perhaps investors' perception around risk assets, but it definitely jutted out to me. And the fact that you're starting to see that breakdown there, and particularly in all these other altcoins, and you're still not seeing that pop in VIX, that disconnect definitely was a flag for me. Julie, any thoughts on Bitcoin? No, typically not. I did check Web3 is going great, my favorite website for these types of news. And, you know, you have anything from the founder of a, of a coin getting hacked, the phishing attempts. I mean, it's just like it's just a mess over there. It's, I don't think it's really an investable class. Equities are plenty difficult and volatile. Yeah. All right. That's a good point. I'm glad you're, she, Julie was honest there. She said, no, typically no. Well, I had no she things. tells no lies. She tells no lies. She tells the truth. She's got nothing to say. She's got nothing to say. I got it. All right. Coming up, more rate cuts coming out of China as the country's economic slowdown drags on. What it could mean for your money next. Plus, cash for clunkers could be an understatement. Surging car payments are costing drivers big. The sticker shock you should expect on the lot. Fast Money is back in two. All right, everybody, welcome back to Fast Money. Stocks closing mixed to kick off the week as investors await headlines out of Jackson Hole and earnings from NVIDIA. 
The Dow down 36 points while the S&P rose more than a half percent and the tech-heavy Nasdaq rallying more than one and a half percent. Tesla shares trying to end a recent pullback up more than seven percent. That's the best day for that stock since March. And uh, it is up 88% on the year. And shares of Sentinel-1 surging 16% on reports the cybersecurity company is exploring a sale. That'll do it to you. Today's move bringing the stock into positive territory for the year, up 16% on the day. Meantime, Chinese stocks dropping after the country's central bank cut its one-year benchmark rate by 10 basis points. Not much of a cut, but a lot more modest than expected, uh, raising fed red flags that the country isn't doing enough to curb the effects of an economic slowdown. Our Eunice Yoon here with more. Tyler, the central bank trimmed the peg for most household and corporate loans by a smaller than expected 10 basis points and didn't touch the reference rate for mortgages. That left many investors puzzled about Beijing's plan to manage the property crisis. Real estate has powered a decades-long boom in China, accounting for 25% of GDP. It's a massive store of wealth for the middle class, making up 70% of household wealth. So decline in real estate hits growth directly when property slows, and the knock-on wealth effect makes people feel poorer so they don't spend. And it's a big deal for the financial sector, Property accounts for 40% of collateral held by banks, according to Citi. From the leadership perspective, they may see their policy options limited because of the run-up of debt. Over President Xi Jinping's time in office, China's debt-to-GDP ratio soared from 195% to 297%. That's led many to wonder if China is headed into a new era of slower growth. Tai? All right, Eunice, thanks very much. Let's trade this one. Julie, let's start with you. What do you think on China? You know, I think it's interesting, right, because so much of, you know, the moves over the last, let's say, 10 years have been to try to drive stronger consumer demand at home. That really needs to be kind of the next leg in order for the Chinese economy to really reach full potential. And that's just been a real struggle. And so I think it's surprising when you see that 70 percent of the wealth is held in houses, that there isn't more done to support the mortgage environment, I, I do think that the problem she has right now is that it basically, if he does, you know, take more drastic action, it's kind of admitting the mistakes that he's made in the past. And th that seems to be a real challenge for him. Yeah, that's, a, that's a really interesting point. And we're going to take that up with our next guest in just a moment. They, they, they don't admit mistakes over there, you know, uh, certainly not the leadership. What mistakes? What <laughs> mistakes? Yeah. yeah, but they also don't I mean, have too many chips. Yeah, they don't have too many challenges to it. It's funny because some of the reporting that we saw last week with this um, investment firm where they, they had like some gates up about, yep. you know, there was like 16 people outside. You know, you know what I mean? Like, so it was like they were trying to make some noise about it. I mean, ultimately, listen, if you've been a China bear, you've been yelling about the same stuff for 15 years or so. And, you know, they kind of they've just kept on marching on. And it wasn't really until they got very turned around with the draconian measures as it relates to, you know, COVID that things really have gone haywire. And so maybe finally it is the time that this debt bomb, this commercial real estate bomb, the, you know, the reliance that so many of the consumers have on their own residences and the, um, you know, their investable capital. And so much they, of their wealth like is tied up. Wealth there. tied up. You know, may, maybe this is it. And so I guess I go back to what we said when we were opening the show. I just don't know how if all this is going to happen in China, there's not major reverberations in the West. And so, again, it's not being priced into our equity markets at the moment. Maybe it is into our bond market right now.
You know, I always wonder what builders do is build, and yeah. this is the perfect example of, of overbuilding, right, in China. Yeah. It's exactly what's going on. All right, for more, let's bring in Dennis Ankovic. He's a partner at Meyer, Ankovic & Scott. He advises companies doing business in China, frequent visitor there. Dennis, welcome. Good to have you with us uh, on Fast. How are you doing? Thank you, Tyler. Very good. Let's talk first about the interest rate cut. As most of the rest of the world's interest rates are going higher, they are cutting, but it was, it feels to me like too little, too late, too small. It was nothing in a, in a relative terms. I think they were fooling themselves if they thought it would have any impact either in China or in the markets here. Let's talk about the, the, the predilection for the Chinese leadership to play sort of shell games. Look at this hand because this hand is not such a pretty hand. And is, does that fact raise the risk that China, in trying to distract uh, its own population from economic uh, dislocations, high unemployment, particularly among the young, uh, a, a cracking uh, property sector, it's, as they try and distract their, their people from those things, uh, that they might be prone to do more aggressive things uh, in foreign policy or against Taiwan? Tyler, they're like magicians. Look at my right hand, but it's in my left hand. I am concerned that you're going to see very soon increased military action against Taiwan because that's the most the easiest thing for the Chinese to do. They have to distract their people because the one thing about the Chinese people are they're really smart. With 70% of their assets in real estate, with this going on, I don't think there's much that the Chinese uh, Xi Jinping can do in the short run. So look for them to do something in Taiwan, and it'll like distract everybody's attention. Absolutely. And 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 to pick up on on Julie's initial point there, Xi does not like, and the Chinese leadership they don't like to admit mistakes. And and in this case, uh, that would be that in the extreme. I'm working on a book now, and part of the book is the most powerful man in the world, and that is Xi Jinping. He literally has no opposition from the military or from the CCP. And what he is doing right now is saying, I'm right. Look, at it took him two years to reverse the policy he had on COVID. In December, he did. Obviously, we're seeing the effects now, but Xi Jinping is not very good at admitting mistakes. Not very good at admitting mistakes. and. And how long do you think it will be before the Chinese economy gets back on track? I don't see anything significant changing for the next 12 months. So uh, at least 12 months here. Any, any thoughts here, guys? My concern all along has been, I'm surprised that I'm not wishing for it, obviously. My concern all along has been China was going to raise the level of aggression against Taiwan. And that would be, and this is not my words, other people have said this, catastrophic for equity markets. And you know, they're building field hospitals. They're doing medical exercises. They're not doing that just for their health. They're doing it because they're clearly planning something, in my opinion. And I'm with, I'm with uh, Dennis on this one. Uh, I think something's going to happen. As their economy gets worse, I think it's more likely that the hostilities are raised. Go ahead, Bonwin. Well, you know what? I, I think young people tend to, you know, perhaps buck the trend and runs counter trend. 20% unemployment rate amongst people 25 or younger, to me, might say that the buck has to stop somewhere. Not only does that prevent you from being able to grow consumption, but I, I just wouldn't be surprised if there's some pushback against the status quo when you have a whole wave of new people that are supposed to enter the consumption and enter the workforce that essentially are disenfranchised. I, I just don't understand how people are going to sit and stand with that. What do you think of that, Dennis? Do you think, I mean, Remember you say he is an unchallenged October, leader, and Bonwin is kind of making the case that 
maybe he might not be. You remember back in December or uh, in, in October when there was a problem with the uh, Apple telephones being produced and there was a problem with the labor unions. You, for the first time in years, had significant numbers of people were Chinese demonstrating in the streets. And some of them were even saying things against Xi Jinping that he didn't like. I think his point is very good. And I agree. The younger people under 25, if 20, it's actually 21 percent that are unemployed now. If that continues, that's a really uh, di uh, bad thing for Xi Jinping, because the one thing the Chinese Communist Party wants is control over its people. It does not want social unrest. This could lead to that. Yeah, they fear destabilization of, of, the, of the regime, I'm sure. Dennis Unkovic, as always, great to see you. Thank you. Anything, anything, any trades we want to jump on here at all? Well, on China? Uh, listen, I, I think, you know, we've talked about this a lot. I mean, when, when you think about U.S. multinationals and their reliance on this you know, emerging middle class and the size of which it, and the like here, I mean, they also rely on it from a manufacturing standpoint for to access to rare earth materials to make a lot of stuff that goes into, you know, electric batteries and other tech products and everything like that. So this is not something that, I mean, the U.S. can decouple from. And you think about, like, all of the efforts that a lot of U.S. companies have made to kind of diversify their supply chains and manufacturing, you know, since the pandemic, I, I think that's going to accelerate. And when you think about about this this um, youth issue that they have and unemployment. No one's really explained to me that supposedly they have this crazy demographic or demographic issue where they don't have enough y young people, but they have 20 percent, one in five of them are out of work. I, I don't know how that works either. So that will only get worse if we accelerate, you know, if there is some sort of geopolitical event. And then you have to go back to the precedent that was set, you know, with Russia's invasion of Ukraine and what a lot of U.S. multinationals did in Russia. Are they going to be able to do the same thing in China? So to yeah. me, this is kind of unavoidable. Um, we are attached at the hip in this one. And sooner or later, I mean, some, so there will be some volatility on our markets as, you know, in the equity markets because of this if something does happen. Yeah, if you get something that happens in that part of the world, it is going to be a heck of a lot harder, it would seem to me, for the U.S. to stay at arm's length from it. So let's look at the lens that we look at through stocks and how things and companies, right? So forget about the, the geopolitical aspect of it, what our administration does or doesn't do. As Dan just said, Apple, Starbucks, McDonald's, they all set the president with Russia, Ukraine. If they were to do nothing if China were to invade, that would be, I think, the market would rage against them. And obviously, if they were to pull themselves out of there, it would be detrimental to their earnings. So either way, if something were to happen there, it's bad for multinationals. Did you hear Dennis say Apple telephones? I don't remember the last time I heard the word telephone. Nobody in talks my about house. it. You have telephone Hell in your yeah. house? Oh, yeah. Why wouldn't you? A telephone. The dial ones when you the do that. The dial ones. You yeah, do that course. around. around the roof heavy, too. Yeah, yeah. I like the princess phones. You remember those? Got it. I mean, if nothing else, I think it just makes it more challenging for this EEM performance. And we've really seen this that stock trade off in the last, yeah. I don't know, two, three weeks. If you are going to continue to stick with the EEM trade, which I think there's aspects of it that do, that do have legs, particularly in Latin America, I think you might want to pair trade that with uh, like a short uh, Hang Seng, a short FXI. Yeah, and Hang Seng is down pretty strongly this year already. I, I think it's down double. Double digits, 10, yeah, 12, 10, 12 percent. Yep. I think so. Okay. Coming up, sticker shock. Uh, forget rising home prices. The soaring cost of a car is putting owning a set of wheels out of reach for some buyers. What's behind the rise? And uh, is there any relief in sight? That story is next. And later, Fading Beauty. Shares of uh, the makeup brand Coty having a tough couple of months. What can investors expect out of their earnings report tomorrow? That trade and more ahead on Fast.
Welcome back to Fast Money, everybody. You're looking at the Mitsubishi Mirage hatchback, the only car on the market today that you can buy new for less than $20,000. How about that? Even the average used car in the U.S. is listed at about $27,000, with average interest rates near 14%, according to Cox Automotive. Our Phil LeBeau has a closer look inside those skyrocketing prices, what rates have uh, to do with it all, and what it means for the consumer and the automaker. Hey, Phil. Hey, Tyler. The cost of automobiles has been rising at an incredible pace over the last decade. In fact, if you take a look at the average transaction price, now that's the price you or I pay when we're getting a vehicle after you have the incentives that have been put in, etc. It's not at its all-time high, but it's not far away. It hit the all-time high back in December. Currently, it's at $48,334. In terms of how people are financing this, that's what we're noticing in terms of the changes for our pocketbooks. The average amount financed, the average loan is almost $41,000. We are stretching out the terms longer. The average loan, now almost 70 months. And the average monthly payment, well over $700 now. You think this might be hurting the business for the auto dealers? Oh, you would be wrong. Take a look at shares of AutoNation, Group One, Penske, They've all had a nice year. Remember, they get about half of their profits from the backside of the business, where they're doing re, uh, the re repair work, the warranty work, et cetera. That's where they make the bulk of their profits. It's not selling new vehicles as for the established automakers. And we're just looking at the big three, Ford, GM, and Stellantis. It doesn't matter that they are posting record profits in North America. All of them have been raising their profit expectations for the year. These stocks really haven't done anything, and that's because two things, Tyler. One, the, the possibility of a UAW strike in mid-September. And two, everybody is focused on when will they be able to make the transition to electric vehicles? Can they make the transition to electric vehicles and be as profitable or at least be competitive with Tesla? Those are me, the two things that are weighing on those stocks. Let me ask you a quick question, Phil. Two years ago, um, a lot of dealers were selling new cars at well above the sticker price because it was that they couldn't yes. get supply. Uh, the inventory was down. Is that still happening? It's still down. It's about half of what it was in 2019 before the UAW strike against General Motors four years ago. It's about 36 days supply for the entire industry. As for the big three, they've known this strike possibility was looming, so they have been ramping up production as much as possible. But the supply chain, the chip supply was really limited over the last couple of years, so they've been able to increase their inventory, Tyler, but not to the degree that they have. They've increased inventory, uh, but are they still selling UAW above? Strike. Are they still selling above sticker? It depends on the model. There are many models that are still selling above. I, I know of some dealers who are saying, "Look, if I'm selling a pickup truck right now." A traditional internal combustion engine right. vehicle, uh, pickup truck, I'm selling it above sticker in many cases. Not all the time, but in many cases. It's not yeah. like it was two years ago or a year ago, but it is, you know, you, it's hard to get a deal out there. Yeah, that was really, it was really a paradigm shift a couple of years ago if you were in the market at that time. But we lost a car in a flood and had to go, and there was nothing available. And you had to pay above, above the, uh, the list price. Phil LeBeau, thank you. Let's trade it, Dan. What do you think? Yeah, it's a tough one. I mean, we've talked about GM and Ford. I mean, the, the moves that those stocks have made just over the last year, they've been very uh, aggressive trading vehicles, if you will. Um, and they've been, you know, I, I, they seem uninvestable. Though I, when I say that, I want to be very really careful. Like, like the long term 
you know, they have to get to electric vehicles. They're competing with um, some big incumbents now, Tesla being one of them. They're losing billions of dollars um, to get there. So I think at the height of just a few months ago, people were really excited about their ability to get there. Now they're less so. If you look at the Ford, that $10.5 level seems like a level. You could say it looks cheap down there, but um, again, it may be a value trap. So to me, I don't think they're probably that enticing unless you want to trade them from those levels. Yeah, Ford seems to be sort of in a range there. It never yeah. breaks out of it. And GM, to the same yeah. To the same degree to me. All right, coming up, one options traders making a big bearish bet on beauty brand Cody ahead of earnings tomorrow. Should investors expect an ugly report? Mm. The lipstick indicator on that one is next. All right, welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of the beauty retailer Coty falling nearly 3% ahead of tomorrow morning's earnings report. The stock's still up nearly 30% on the year. But options traders are betting things could be about to get very ugly for this name. Mike Coe joins us now with the action. What do you say, Mike? Hey, uh, the options market traded more than 14 times the average daily volume today. The puts out pacing calls by more than 5 to 1. Options market implying a move of more than 10% by the end of the week, but one trader's betting that it could be bigger than that and much further lower. We saw over 14,700 of the November 9 puts trade for about 31 cents, the buyer of those puts betting that the stock could fall 20% or more over the course of the next three months. Interesting. Julie, quick comment from you. Yeah, I mean, beauty is usually a pretty good category, but they really haven't been able to kind of keep up and stay fresh. So, you know, I, I understand the, the weakness possible. All right, Mike, thanks very much. And uh, for more options action, be sure to tune into the full show. That is Friday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern. I'll be here. Hope you will be, too. Up next, Final Trades. Oh, we are going to go fast here. Time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. Julie, you go first. If you want automotive, but you want quality, Copart's probably the best way to do that. All right, Bonowin, you go next. There is buying on weakness, and then there's catching falling knives. FXI, wait on it. All right, Dan. Yeah, as I said, I think Zoom's okay right here. Zoom. You're a stud, Tyler. Zoom. Housekeeping. Yes. Back in EC, Stephanie, who does a crack job. It's her birthday today, so uh. happy birthday, Stephanie. And you haven't seen Courtney. You know why? Why well, do? Because she and her husband had a baby on Friday, Gianna Lorraine Garcia. Congratulations. Welcome, welcome, Courtney. Vision VC. Vision VC, thanks for watching Fast Money. You know what's next. Jim Cramer starts right now. All opinions expressed by the Fast Money participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Fast Money participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Fast Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Fast Money Disclaimer. It's time to take your career to the next level. With over 150 graduate degree programs, the Catholic University of America, located in Washington, D.C., provides world-class academics with a student experience that educates the whole person, mind, body, and spirit. Whether your professional calling is in engineering, nursing, social work, or any of our other exceptional degree programs, encounter the best of everything that Catholic University has to offer and discover the best in yourself. Learn more today at catholic.edu forward slash gradadmissions.